It's Thursday, September 27, 2018. This is the Hermetic Hour. I'm your host, Pope Runyon, and tonight we review the new collector's edition of Kurt Seligman's 1948 classic, The Mirror of Magic, A History of Magic in the Western World. And we'll discuss Seligman's career as a surrealist painter, a scholar of the occult, and a practicing ceremonial magician. Well, this handsome new edition, published by Inner Traditions, is a faithful reproduction of the original. Now, I inherited a 1948 original copy of Seligman's book from my late master, Frederick McLaren Adams, 1928 and uh, 2008, and with Fred's annotations in it. It was Fred's first book on magic, and he treasured it. In his introduction, Seligman wrote, As an artist, I was concerned with the aesthetic value of magic and its influence on man's creative imagination. Now, Fred Adams was also a very talented artist and was inspired by the Mirror of Magic, as we hope a new generation of readers will be when they discover this beautiful new edition of Kurt Seligman's masterpiece. Now, before we get into this, let me clarify just what this book is and what it's not. It is a facsimile of the original 1948 edition of Mirror of Magic, which is subtitled A History of Magic in the Western World. And it has the complete text and all 250 of the original illustrations. And they are just as well reproduced as they were in the original. I, I checked all of that against my against my copy of the original. It was issued by several publishers in five subsequent editions from 1971 through 1997 under different titles, Magic, Superstition, and Religion, and then the History of Magic and the Occult. Now, these subsequent editions have all suffered some deletion from the original. The new collector's edition is virtually identical with the original. It is richly bound in black buckram with silver-stamped spine and front board with the same sigil that adorned the original. Now, the only difference from the 1948 first edition is the addition of a foreword and a preface by two academics introducing and praising Seligman's book and his career, both of which are deserving of accolades. He was a giant in the field of surrealist art, and much of his work was inspired by his deep knowledge and his practice of hermetic magic. His occult and magical library provided both philosophical and graphic stimulus for his paintings. He wrote and published Mirror of Magic both as a justification for his art and a gift to inspire other creative artists and poets. And one of the poets he inspired was Ivan Gold, who published chapters of Mirror of Magic as a serial 
in a journal that he edited. Now we're going to read Gull's poem, The Magic Circle, which my late master, Frederick Adams, clipped out and saved in his treasured 1948 copy of A Mirror of Magic. Now this 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 poem by Gold is not is not uh reproduced in the book. You might you might you might think it ought to be, but, but actually uh actually it's not. However, as I said, uh Gold was very much influenced by, by Seligman. So this is his poem, The Magic Circle. Caught in the circle of my star like a scorpion in a circle of chalk, turning with the wheel which turns in my heart, and with the mill of the universe which is grinding time, caught in the circle of Aries, whose horn is pregnant with a secret voice, perceptible and never perceived. How then escape the gong sounding in the courts of night? Escape the arena where the bull rejoins his shadow. Renne Viplus, Scoupier of the Zodiac, and Dervish spinning the top of prayer. Through your blue eyes, Lilith, as through a hoop of azure, I try the death leap. I descend, descend your blood. Descend the floorless staircase of the centuries, unless I climb the ladder of fire, at whose end burn the feathers of angels to break the one circle. Was I not Memnon, the speaking stone who sang at dawn on the mountain of skulls? I built a tower, the vertical I sand, monument to the ego, faster, wither than the rush. Pyramid builder, I entombed the mummy of an insect. I lived in the hexagon of snow, in the pinnacle of an enemy. And I measured the square dice, the fortress where to keep the angel, in an ivory sleep, asleep without eyelids. Alas, the demon of my dice, pierces me with his 21 black eyes, eyes of lakes and serpents of liliths, world lassos behind my flight, eyes open, eyes closed, golden perilliums, gyres of vultures, spirals of spiriliums, draw the sixth of my death, and in my depths the old man chants, who is this bulgit dragon flying, not disturbing the bouquet of comets, but a beetle between his teeth? Stops the clock of the universe? Who is this eagle laying eggs on a tree, the lightning felled, whose brood drinks the new moon? Who is the runner on the edge of the wheel, climbing the mountain, who falls in the hole of his tomb? None expects a response. The wind of the volute blew up our memory. 
With worn-out keys, I strained and unlocked the circle. I cast anchor of alphabet into oblivion. I plant the root of words in furrows on my forehead. I garden magic's rosary. Rose of wind, rose of sand. My mother let her terror boil in the copper. My father threw his offspring in the balance. And while I dive into the mirror, a thousand circles scatter to the border of the world. I marry the goddess who wears bracelets of Saturn with energy that whips the ellipses. Stop, azimuth of samsara, viper, release your tail. Behind my eyelids, I annihilate you. Eye of the sun and egg of the bacterian, while the scorpion kills himself within the circle of chalk. Oof. That kind of reminds me of Lon Duquette's I'll Be God for Just One Hour. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, um, that poem, of course, was inspired by Hurt Seligman's uh, Magic. Now, um, let's uh, let's read the um, the foreword by uh, Celia Rabinovich um, and uh, learn a little bit about um, about Kurt and his work. So I will. Now, this is a big book, by the way, and and uh, it's a it's a big book. It's not as fat. It's not as fat as the as the original, um, but it's just as big. And uh, the mirror of magic was as unique as its creator, Kurt Seligman, 1900-1962. He was born at the turn of the century in Basel, Switzerland, during the height of the symbolist movement called Revival in Europe. An artist, he rejected the bourgeois life of his parents and sought the transformative power of imagination to turn matter into metaphor through alchemy and art. Kurt Seligman saw through the mirror of magic and revealed its manifestations in in, uh, supernaturalism, religion, and the sacred. His father, Gustav, was originally from Prussia and arrived in Basel in 1895. His mother, Helen, was from, uh, like like now, one of the, one of, only two Jewish towns in the uh, canton of Argyll, where the Jews were allowed to settle in Switzerland prior to 1866. They established a, furti- a furniture store in at uh, 19 uh, Falkenstrasse, near the city center. Historically, uh, Basel's uh, stance toward the Jewish population was was strained. In uh, 1349, the Jews were banned, were blamed for the Black Death and burned or expelled from Basel and were again exiled in 1549. The Jewish community was allowed to return to Basel in 1862 and given civic rights in 1874. But this marginal position cannot have escaped Kurt's assimilated parents, reminded by the World Zionist Congress, led by uh, Theodore Herzl, 
that sought solutions to the persecution of the Jews in Europe. As a child, Kurt absorbed elements of the fantastic art and symbolism of earlier Swiss artists such as Johann Heinrich Pusilli and, and, and Arnold uh, Bachlin. The costumes and pageantry of the Catholic carnival in Basel captured his childhood imagination, and he continued to, and continued to haunt him as an artist. However, as a Jewish boy in a Catholic environment, he could only witness the spectacle rather than participate. From 1918 through 1919, Kurt attended the Ecole de Beaux-Arts at Geneva, um, we're, we're drawing the draped figure commingled with memories of Carnival and images of the draped furniture of his father's store. This compounding the imagination re- released a trajectory of symbols that he explored in this painting. In 1920, he returned to Basel during his father's illness to manage the business. Longing to develop his art and finally left uh, left for Florence in 1927 to attend the Academia de Belle Art. There he discovered themes from the Christian Kabbalah in the layered symbolism of Renaissance artists presented in the deep space composed with sublime color. And these artists were adepts in the Neoplatonic cross-referencing of pagan, Christian, and, and, and Old Testament themes, a process that became an essential element of Seligman's imagination. Kurt Seligman arrived in Paris in 1929. He entered a milieu effervescent with original ideas connecting symbolism, dreams, and myth with the psychoanalysis of Freud Wilhelm Reich, and Carl Jung. With a small inheritance received in 1935 from his father, he collected rare books in Italian, Latin, Greek, and German, concentrating on the Neoplatonists and the Christian Kabbalah, including Marsilio Ficino, Pico della Mirandola, Robert Flood, Johannes Ruslan, and Paracelsus. Seligman unearthed sources that provide the spectacular images in the mirror of magic. He synthesized ideas from Sir James Fraser, that's the Golden Bell, E.B. Taylor, Carl Jung, and Herbert Silberman, although he avoided their cultural Darwinism, and he associated with artists Hans Arp, Alberto Giacometti, and the surrealist Andre Breton, accepted him into the Surrealist Movement in 1934. And he was welcomed, and he was welcomed into their daily meetings in 1937. He had arrived, a community of of artists, and his marriage to Arlette uh, Paroth, 1935, and recognition as an artist. Arlette was the niece of George Wildenstein, of the Gallery de Beaux-Arts, who financed the radical magazine Documents, 1929-31, juxtaposing, juxtaposing mythology, archaeology, ethnography, and fine arts, drawing Seligman toward ethnography, which he was, which he was anxious nonetheless. 
1932, foreseeing the rise of fascism in Europe, he collected a scrapbook of propaganda images uh, on which he wrote, How Soon Will the Next War Come? Kurt and Arlette left Paris in 1938 to conduct field research in totemism um, with the uh, the Gixan and the Simeon peoples of North, northern British Columbia, Canada. He obtained a monumental totem pole for the anthropologist Claude Levi-Strauss, and then who was then an assistant director of ethnology at the newly formed Museum de la Homme in Paris. Seligman became one of the first European artists in exile. And when he and Arlette left for his exhibition in New York in 1939, they remained there. And during the work, during the war, he helped others to escape, including Andre Breton, who arrived with Levi Strauss in 1941. But in 1943, Breton was ex- was expelled. He expelled Seligman from the Surrealist movement over an argument about the meaning of a tarot card. It is ironic that Seligman, who studied totem and taboo, was shunned, made taboo by Breton. Likely, the mirror of magic became his strength in exile. If he was surrounded by an odor of rejection, then he would be distinguished by wisdom. These events drove Seligman's sense of personal exile, first from his native Switzerland, then from Paris, and finally from Surrealism. The Mirror of Magic was published in 1948, prefigured writings by the great historian of religion, Marcia Deliadi, whose Patterns in Comparative Religion was published 10 years later, or Joseph Campbell's Hero with a Thousand Faces, published a year after Seligman's book. These thinkers sought a primal story or ur-myth, a monomyth behind mythology. But this theory was not Seligman's aim, nor did he impose an evolutionary model of human spirituality on magic. Sir James Fraser and E.B. Taylor did. Seligman avoids employing the development theory, allowing the multivarious forces of magic to emerge. He was the only one of a generation of speculative thinkers on the sacred that pursued active art practice. And he was fully informed of the magical ability of matter to become metaphor. The Mirror of Magic embodied his insight. As an artist, I was concerned with the aesthetic value of magic and its influences on man's creative imagination. Seligman's palette was not only in the play of symbols, but a living painter's palette of raw pigments that transformed primal material, primal matter, into metaphor employing in his studio the alchemy of Renaissance painting techniques, similarly using mortar and pestle in medieval times. Artists, apothecaries, and alchemists were likened in the same guild for each transformed matter into essence. Paint is water and stone. 
and it is also liquid thought. That is an essential fact that art history misses, and alchemical ideas can demonstrate how it can happen. Alchemy is an art that knows how to make substance. No formula can describe, and it knows the particular turmoil of thoughts that finds expression in colors. Alchemy is the old science of struggling with the materials and not quite understanding what is happening, as every painter does each day in the studio. That's a quote from Sullivan. And an illumination shines through the mirror of magic. In incandescence, Seligman attempts to return to the wholeness of magic. Embedded meaning cannot be separated into parts. It is rather a saturation, a veil, a perfume. This vapor seems through the thresholds of chapters, penetrating through the uh, through the joins in the grand edifice as smoke that saturates all. Gershom Shalom observes a mystical tradition like the Kabbalah has an ironic touch. It is concerned with a veil of fog, which, like the history of mystical tradition, hangs around the corpus, around the space of the thing itself. A fog, however, which emanates from the very thing. Between the fragments of the mirror of magic emerging uh, from the funeral or spectral figures of his paintings, Seligman returns uh, to the Jewish mysticism from which he was exiled, first by assimilation, then from, politi- from political necessity during the war, and finally from himself. Did he, the mirror of magic, exhales a smoke, a fog, circling the words as space circles the cloaked forms of Seligman's cyclonic landscapes? Seligman's art suggests that he was more steeped in the Kabbalah than he otherwise revealed, perhaps due to his precarious position as an immigre in France and as an artist in exile in America. As Shalom says, authentic tradition remains hidden. When he finished writing Mirror of Magic, Seligman wrote an article, Magic and the Arts, in 1946. He proposes that in that as in music, dance, and poetry, the all can be seen in the one. And each element can act on each other dynamically. This is another quote from Seligman. To the magician, all is contained in all, and all is one. God and the universe are one. Moreover, what is above is also below. The visible and the invisible world reflect one another. And similarly, is literature connected with the universe, as the Kabbalah teaches? In the book Zohar, we read, Through the expansion of the sky which circles the world, there are figures, signs by which we know the secrets and most profound mysteries. He who travels early in the morning shall look to the east. He will see something there, like letters marching in the sky, some rising, some descending. These brilliant characters are the letters with which God has formed heaven and earth. By the way, 
uh, interject that, that that particular passage in the book was underlined by, by Frederick Adams, and, and he said he had the same vision of the celestial alphabet. And uh, and that's uh, in his, and he has it underlined in his copy of, of The Mirror of Magic. As The Mirror of Magic was about to be published in 1949, Seligman created an etching titled Magica. In it, he releases the animating force of the Kabbalah that lay latent in his occult library, transformed into the Christian Kabbalah by Mirandola, Swedenborg, Paracelsus, and others. The Magica reveals Seligman's hidden history. Perhaps he thought, thought of it for the book's cover and then thought better of it. He pulled only one proof. It depicts various occult symbols, including the trident of Paracelsus, the Ouroboros, the planet Mercury, and the sigil of Saturn, as well as the placed center crowning the composition. And... Um, Yet the central placement of the Aleph is so obvious as as to have become obscure. What is the Aleph? It's the first letter of the Hebrew alphabet. The breath, an exhalation, the creation of the world, the source of life embedded in all. As with the Aleph, so with magic. Transferable, transmutable, endowing lush, and infinite creative will. Now that was the... Um, that uh, was the uh, the foreword, and this was by uh, Celia Rabinovich, Ph.D., um, and she's an artist and a writer whose paintings have been exhibited internationally, and her books are Realism and Sacred Power and Arrows in the Occult, so she certainly was qualified to write that, um, that, that uh, foreword. Now, now, let's read the preface. Was by another academic lady, uh, Grazina Sibelite, and the preface is subtitled "The Emancipatory Power of Magic." I think this is equally as as good and as as informative as as, as the uh, as, as as the forward. Pondering the definition of magic for a lecture on the subject, Kurt L. Seligman, the distinguished Swiss-American surrealist artist, bibliophile, and scholar of magic and the occult, wrote the following enlightening words. If you expect now a definition of magic, I must disappoint you. Knowing the colossal age of magic, you can imagine the manifold aspects which, which it has assumed. It is the character of magic to be mysterious, and I cannot be mysterious when speaking about it. Magic operation is an application in the practical use of wisdom, acquired in contemplation of the inner self and of nature. Magic endeavors to explain every phenomenon in life, in nature, in the invisible world, omnia in omnibus, 
All is contained in all, and all is one. The fundamental theory of all superior magic, unity of the universe within its endless variety. Of course, the hermetic as above, so below, as within, so without. Now, Seligman revealed that for him, magic held the most profound possible meaning. It was all-encompassing, far-reaching, and ultimately it represented a metaphor for existence itself. He firmly believed that there was no evident separation between any of the elements in the universe and that even if often mysterious and unfathomable, there was a reason and a connection among the manifestations. Excuse me. He firmly believed that there was no evident separation between any of the elements in the universe and that, even if often mysterious and unfathomable, there was a reason and a connection among the manifestations and events in life. Consequently, he advocated a vision of the cosmos as one unified entity marked by a system of analogies and correspondences. A central notion of the Western esoteric tradition articulated in the Hermetic proverb, as above, so below. Given his magical worldview, it comes as no surprise that Seldon himself readily admitted that the central occult tenet of unity, all is contained in all, and all is one, also forms the guiding theme for his illuminating book, The Mirror of Magic, A History of Magic in the Western World. This magnum opus marked the culmination of many years of research that Seligman undertook in relation to magic and the occult. To begin with, perhaps not coincidentally, his interest in these subjects can be traced to his childhood. Seligman was born at the turn of the century, that had marked the widespread pan-European occult revival, and early on he became familiar with the texts of Paracelsus, back in 1493 to 1541. The influential Swiss-German physician and alchemist and astrologer uh, in early modern Europe, and Seligman credited the writings of Paracelsus for introducing him to the world of magic. In addition, as a child, he absorbed his father's puppet shows and the films by George uh, by George's uh, Mele, uh, Melies, 1861-1938, a pioneer cinemagician. This sounds like some. I'm, I'm interjecting here. This sounds like uh, the, the some of the inspiration for uh, Doctor Parnassus, the film. If you've seen that, it's a beautiful film. Whose uh, electric juxtapositions of elements, creating magical encounters, were admired by the surrealists. The Basilier Fastnacht, too, had a lasting effect. Ghastly figures performing ritualistic dances, such as the Dance Macabre, relating to the history and carnival of Basil, are found echoed throughout Seligman's iconography. 
after moving to Paris in 1929, he became an official member of the Surrealist Group in Paris in 1934. And from the start, shared with the Surrealists a vivid interest in ethnic art and the occult and intriguing objects from the past. In line with the Surrealist fascination for the spiritual and magical symbolism rooted in the indigenous objects, Seligman and his wife Arlette visited the northwest coast of British Columbia in 1938 to study the culture of the nation. And they spent I don't think I pronounced Tissimshian Nation. They spent the summer there in Situ studying the art and life of the Northwest Coast natives and becoming members of their clan. While there, he collected artifacts for the Musée de Léon in Paris, including a totem pole now in the Musée du, du Quai, uh, apparently in Paris, that's the one he gave Levi Strauss, I guess, his interest in magic, mythology, and especially their impact on creativity and imagination became ever more prominent. He noted, during my stay there, I realized that in these primitive societies, magic is also the exclusive impulse given to creativeness. In September 1939, Seligman became the first surrealist to move to the U.S., where he remained until his death. He was arguably the most important Swiss surrealist abroad and played a crucial role in New York in providing a bridge between occultism and the activities of the surrealist group. When myth and magic became the movement's most urgent preoccupation, he became renowned as an expert and a trusted source about occult matters. And in the, uns- in the unsettled socio-political climate between the world wars and above all during the Second World War, Seligman increasingly embraced magic, alchemy, and the occult as potent ways of challenging the prevailing values of society as valid alternative avenues that allow one to tap into the otherworldly forces and to stimulate the mind, setting it free from any confinement that prevented it from exploring its full potential. For him, magic represented a transformative power that provided fuel for the imagination and thus facilitated the vision of a new world order marked by a cultural and spiritual renewal. He wrote Mirror of Magic during the Second World War and bearing such an antagonistic context in mind is at the heart of unlocking and understanding the true meaning of the book's contents. It provided an onslaught and a substitute for the brutal reality brought about by the failure of rationalism and reason. Seligman's interest in magic also manifested through book collecting that he undertook while still in Europe in the late 1930s. 
The letters he exchanged with rare book dealers in Europe and the U.S. revealed that he was a studious bibliophile, adamant to find the oldest editions of the scarcest extant books on the occult tradition. His collection comprised about 240 of such rare volumes and about twice as many reference books, some dating back to the 16th century. The library contents were encyclopedic, spanning a wide spectrum of topics on the occult sciences, magic, alchemy, Kabbalah, Rosicrucianism, astrology, uh, geromancy, witchcraft, demonology, and spirits, the evil eye, and related subjects. Books on Jewish magic and mysticism reflect his keen interest in his own heritage, while books by skeptics and critics of magic and witchcraft uh, mirror the fact that Seligman sought to form a complete picture of the field for himself. Publications on folklore, primitivism, and comparative religion were also a substantial part of his collection and eclecticism of his library. Points to the emphasis on the past and miscellaneous esoteric topics as a source of interest inspiration, and influence that he subsequently synthesized in the mirror of magic. Such literature tracing traditions of the occult offered Seligman the possibility to access realms of knowledge that were beyond what was visible to the human eye and surpass any limits of the traditional modes of recognition pointed rather uh, toward the invisible realm of the psyche and the imagination. In his lecture notes on magic, he wrote, the fulfillment that magic promises is before all one within the realms of the psyche. Like dreams, it realizes desires and freeing the soul and from the oppressions that may beleaguer it. It releases forces, creative powers within us. For Seligman's magic held a liberating Faustian power of rebirth and renewal. And in the face of turmoil and uncertainty, in a disenchanted world, it was powerfully emancipatory. emancipatory. Drawing on his ethnographic research and extensive contents of his library, Seligman literally serialized his writings in the Exile Journals VVV and View and the journal Hemispheres, edited by the poet Yvonne Gold, 1891-1950, and whose poem we wrote with the, 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 whose poem um, the, the, that he wrote inspired by Seligman uh, we, we read earlier. Um, Seligman's work then culminated in the Mirror of Magic, whose manuscript he completed in late 1945, at the end of the war. And he first published by Pantheon Books in New York in 1948. The Mirror of Magic is ultimately defined by an overarching theme of mankind's constant drive towards spiritual and creative liberation and to attaining unity and harmony all possible with the help of magical beliefs and operations. Seligman referred to this continuously throughout the publication. Consequently, he shed light on why magic 
continues to fascinate and why the longing for it never ceases. Given the continuous socio-political upheaval in the world today, the lure of the mysterious and the liberating escape of magic offers has never been offers that has never been stronger. The relevance of Seligman's authoritative book is as prominent now as it ever was. He makes it clear in his final sentences of the book. Magical operations permitted men to overcome the oppression of hostile reality through regular intercourse with supernatural forces. Such were the real gifts which man was able to extract from magic. A system that prevailed in society for thousands of years hardly needs an apology. Magic was a stimulus to thinking. It freed man from fears, endowed him with feelings of power to control the world, sharpened his capacity to imagine, and kept him awake in his dreams of higher achievements. The authors whose books Seligman collected and whose importance he acknowledged in his own work in the introductory note of his book included Lynn Thorndike, and that's the history of magic and experimental science in eight volumes. And James George Fraser, 1854-1941, and that's 12 volumes, also advocated the sweeping character of magic that Seligman resolutely uh, believed believed in. Fraser's 12-volume study, The Golden Bough, a study of magic and religion, um, was widely read by the Surrealists. It was revolutionary, one of the first forays into the anthropological standpoint on culture, religion, and ritual. Fraser argued that every society passes through a natural progression from magic to religious beliefs to scientific thought. And he perceived religion as an intermediary step in the evolutionary process from magic to science. Central to Fraser was the notion that, as Seligman phrased it, magic had beneficial results, social and scientific progress, and thus eventually held a positive revolutionary function. In in, in Fraser's own own words, that was a Freudian slip, in Fraser's own words, magic contributed to uh, to, uh, emancipate mankind from his thrall in the tradition and to elevate them to a larger, freer life. We are forced to admit that if the black art has done much evil, it has also been the source of much good, and it has been the mother of freedom and truth. In the Mirror of Magic, Seligman uncovers a comprehensive history of magic from Mesopotamia, Persia, ancient Egypt, and Greece through to the 18th century. The aim of the book, in Seligman's words, is to present to the general reader a condensed account of the magical ideas and operations in the civilized world. His mirror of magic is therefore a mirror of a magical conception of the world through the ages, explored through the topics of alchemy, Gnosticism, witchcraft, Kabbalah, black magic, and astrology. The theme 
of the unity of the universe within the variety resonates throughout the book, in particular through the efforts of humanity to reconcile two seemingly opposing forces, those of good and evil, which actually spring from the same source. The mirror of magic offers, if you like, a look back into the history of the long to heal this divide and to find harmony. It thus grants, as this is a struggle that mankind continues to be engaged in, the popularity The theme of the unity, unity of the universe within this variety resonates throughout the book in particular. Through the efforts of humanity to reconcile two seemingly opposing forces, those of good and evil, which, is, which actually spring from the same source, the mirror magic offers, if you like, a look back at the history of the longing to heal this divine and find harmony. And thus it grants precious perspectives as this is a struggle that mankind continues to be engaged in. The popularity of Seligman's study is unquestionable, as it was one of the few occult classics to remain in print. Its enormous appeal is reflected by the fact that it was translated into several languages and was published in subsequent editions under the titles Magic and Supernaturalism and Religion, 71 and 73, the History of Magic and the Occult, 83 and 97. For instance, the surrealist artist and writer Leonora Carrington, 1917-2011, enthusiastically read Seligman's plea for the occult in a letter uh, from Chihuahua, uh, from Mexico. In 1948, she wrote, I was much moved and touched by the scrupulous honesty with which you treated the subject without any attempt at mystification, which seems to be the vulgar habit. Indeed, remaining true to fact, writing without bias, Sullivan refused to promote ideologies or sectarian views of the occult. His study confirmed and solidified his position as an authority on the subject. I want to interject right now that we keep referring to the Christian Kabbalah, and of course, uh, uh, Solomon had many books on on Jewish magic. Uh, The Christian Kabbalah is actually the Hermetic Kabbalah. It's just had a Christian veneer to it. Uh, I just want to interject that in case you're wondering. In the end, even Solomon's work as an artist and a scholar might appear to be extraordinary. In a true magical sense, he managed to arrive at the perfect unity and resolution of the two. The emphasis of the emancipatory and creative potential of magic points to the key fact that Solomon wrote the mirror of magic from an artistic viewpoint. The magical world is literally that of the artist he stressed. He often compared the role of the artist with that of the alchemist or magician, and he argued about an analogy existing between man and the universe in their parallel aim to create uh, based upon an impulse. He came to see an inseparable link between the goals of magic and those of art, 
and propagated this idea for the rest of his life. When the book was first published, it was abundantly illustrated with esoteric imagery, much of which was derived from the books in uh, Seligman's personal library. All illustrations from the original edition are included in this special collector's edition. The flyer announcing the publication in 1948 explicitly noted that it came to fruition with the artist-oriented vision driven by his interest in the picturesque, a unique visual approach. No other book on magic has stressed the pictorial and aesthetic element as this one does. A wealth of illustrations, 250 of them, make it truly a mirror of magic. Seligman's further stressed in the uh, introductory note that he had already learned through his ethnographic travels as an artist. I was concerned with the aesthetic value of magic and its influence upon man's creative imagination. The relics of ancient peoples indicate that religious, religio-magical beliefs have given a great impulse to artistic activities, given the validity of magic in the creative process. And, for aesthetic purposes, he concluded that it should not be relegated to the past, but rather considered an integral part of the present magic. Continues, and it continues to live on. And, as Seligman put it best in his own words, hardly one among us, can say that he is not entirely free of magical thought and action. And that's um, uh, Garzina Celedete. Uh, that's her preface. Um, uh, she's a PhD candidate at um, Cloud Institute of Art in London. And her dissertation examines the themes related to magic and the occult. So that's... Uh, Quite appropriate. I think she did a very good job with that uh, with that preface. Now, let's let's also read Kurt Seligman's introduction, which is very short. And, uh, <laughs> his introduction is quite short, and uh, Okay, his introduction, introductory note, he says, The aim of this book is to present to the general reader a condensed account of the magical ideas and operations in the civilized Western world. Because of the character of this book, a vast material had to be sifted and reduced to which I considered most typical. Such a condensation, however, may convey more to the lay reader than a lengthy dissertation on an inexhaustible theme. Magic has been treated mainly in two different ways. The specialized works of scholars are confined to specific types, aspects, and eras generally, and they are written for a scientific reader. On the other hand, there are innumerable publications of questionable value, expounding ideas rarely based on fact, but uh, twisting the truth into narrow into a narrow system of such special brand that one sectarian of the occult, only a few authors on magic have written for the general reader. In fact, a fact which will perhaps justify this publication. 
Without pretense of original scholarship, my investigation has been guided by such scholarly works as, as James uh, George Fraser, uh, Avon Harnett, G.L. Kidridge, and uh, F.J. Ball, and Thorndike, and others. In addition, my personal library of books on magic and witchcraft facilitate this investigation and permitted me to select a wealth of illustrations, which the reader will welcome, no doubt, as an artist. I was concerned with the aesthetic value of magic and its influence on man's creative imagination. And the vestiges of ancient peoples tend to indicate that religious magical beliefs have given a great impulse to the artistic activities, a stimulus which outlasted paganism and produced belated flowers in the era of Christianity. I wish to express my gratitude to following persons in the Muslim. And, of course, he dedicated his book to his wife, Arletta. Now, uh, before, we, before we close here, I'd like to mention that uh, that Kurt uh, Seligman was also a practicing ceremonial magician. And if you don't believe me on that, I suggest that you go on the Internet and look up uh, Recreating the Magic Circle of a Surrealist Seriously Interested in the Occult. And that is as hyper-allergic uh, hyper, uh, and... Uh, uh, just, 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 just Google that. Uh, go, go. Um, you know, if you, you Google something, uh, uh, you'll find a uh, in the stack in the in in, in the stack of uh, articles. You'll find recreating the magic circle of a surrealist seriously interested in the occult, and you will find it's headed by a photograph of uh, Kurt Seligman and all of his surrealist uh, colleagues and students all standing, sitting around a magic circle uh, drive from Dean and Kelly and, and uh, Seligman's in the middle and uh, and it's, the article starts off dressed in a crisp tuxedo Swiss artist Kurt Seligman stepped into the chalk circle lined with the names of archangels on the wood floor of his Manhattan apartment. It was May 8, 1948, and with sculptor Enrico Donati, he led his assembled party guests in a ritual to summon the dead. The performance recreated a rite by 16th century magician John Dee and his medium Edward Kelly. That had been included in Seligman's new book, The Mirror of Magic. Seligman was then a central figure uh, to surrealism in New York City and the scene's magical expert. The book piled his extensive exoteric knowledge in the occult, magic, alchemy, and other topics, as well as his views on those subjects' historical influence and art. Now, the next page you're going to see, you're going to see a large, uh, a large white uh, version of D's circle, and uh, 
and this 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 article here this 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 article is fascinating so so you know, definitely definitely go go and consult it consult it on the uh, on the internet if you will and i also want to i want to dig into my old copy here like i say uh which is just about the same as the new one, except that it's about twice as thick. Uh, it, it, it's uh, it's fatter, but it, it, but they're both. It has everything. Everything uh, everything is the same. But uh, right inside the the front of cover, we have Fred Adams' notes and. Um, Hebrew alphabet, page 357. Floating islands, celestial uh, scripture, 365. And, uh, and 365, page 365, I go there. I believe, bear with me for just a second while I find 365. I found it. Uh, what Fred has, has here... He, uh, this is a celestial alphabet, uh, which you, you know you'll find it. In the, it comes from Agrippa, and, and obviously, and it's reproduced from, you know, from Seligman's copy of, of Agrippa. It says, Figure One Sixty Two. On this page, like the signs I saw in in a cosmic dream, on page two fifty seven, the Dawn of Magic. Now. This is the celestial alphabet, and you recall Seligman talked about uh, about seeing the the alphabet in the sky and the stars, and uh, well, that of course that's really the origin of the Kabbalah is is is, is in the stars, and uh, uh, that that uh, the, the, the Gnostic uh, the Gnostic uh, magician Marcus. Uh, Saw that, and, and the Kabbalah probably, and even the Hebrew Kabbalah probably derives originally from the alphabet and the stars. And so this celestial alphabet here, uh, with both a vision um, that uh, uh, Seligman describes, and Fred Fred Adams had that, this, he had the same vision. And uh, and we've you know had similar. Visions ourselves. Also, too, you know, Fred. Fred Adams uh, had two reproductions of Seligman's art: uh, the Den of the Winds, and this is really an evocative piece of work, the Den of the Winds. And then he also has the uh, uh, the butterflies.
the den of the winds and and uh, Memnon and the butterflies. And there's two. And by the way, you can see if you if you uh, if you go on the internet, uh, there there is a there is a catalog uh, of of, of uh, Seligman's art that you can look at. Uh, there's not very much. Uh, and, and there's even an art book. There's, there's an art portfolio book of his of, of his work that's, just, that's available. And I strongly, strongly recommend this collector's edition of of the Mirror of Magic. I think it should be on every. Every hermetic magician's library shelf should certainly have a copy of it, and uh, and it's a wonderful introduction uh, to magic from people who who don't know, you know, who who are not really familiar with what it is or what it promises. And so I am very very glad that this book has been reissued. And as I said, it, uh, I had you know um, I had my my old master friend's original copy of it. And I'm, and I can tell you right now that this new this new edition it is uh, does justice to it. All the all the old uh, etchings and woodcuts and everything uh, that are reproduced are all just reproduced perfectly, and it's very very worthwhile. And I strongly recommend it. And uh, that's we're just about out of time, so. Uh, Uh, We'll uh, see you next week, and uh, meanwhile, uh, good magic.